Hey everyone, welcome or welcome back to the Quaybog Church podcast. At the end of this episode, take a moment to subscribe to our YouTube channel or check us out on Facebook. That way you'll have access to fresh content every week. But most importantly, we hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in your faith journey because our mission here at Quaybog is to help you worship, connect, and serve. Enjoy! So if you had the opportunity to bless somebody, but you knew it was going to cost you, like cost you advancement, it was going to cost you maybe recognition that you thought was yours, how easy for you would it be to make the right choice in that decision to say, okay, I'm going to step back and I may not get this opportunity, I may not get this blessing, this promotion, this recognition, this whatever, but this other person is going to. Like, I, again, I don't know where that lands in your life, but just think how that looks for you. How easy does that come for you personally? Because big picture, that's what we celebrate in communion. I mean, that's ultimately what Jesus did for us. But more specifically, we see that in Abram today. So if you're uh, refreshing or you weren't here from last week, we, talk, we met Abram at one of his worst moments on earth. Right, making a terrible, terrible choice. Because essentially, if you don't know the story, story of Abram and Sarai, when we first meet these two people who would become Abraham and Sarah, Abram is given this incredible promise by God. He's going to bless him. He's going to give him land. He's going to give him a name. He's going to give him a family. All these great things, right? The three great promises of God to Abram. And the first chance that Abram gets to kind of go out on his own and live this out, what does Abram do? He gets scared. And he gets worried. And so he makes the most terrible choice ever to safeguard himself. He essentially sells his wife into prostitution for the Pharaoh. So Abram, the father of the promise, right? Founder of the faith for Christians, for Jews, and for Muslims. Like they all have their spiritual lineage all back to Abram, Abraham. And this guy human trafficked his own wife. That's how his story really takes off, or really flops, I guess you could say. So last Sunday, we met him at one of his worst moments. And this Sunday, we're going to see him at one of his finer moments. But here's what I love about this, and I don't want you to miss this, is that the people that we see in the Bible are often very messy. And sometimes they're very immoral. And sometimes very morally weak. But that's not the point of the story. What I love about these stories is that, like this part three of Genesis is called, is that life is a journey. And Abram, like you and I, are all on a journey, right? Like, he started out really, really bad, but his story didn't end there. And when, so the New Testament, just for like chronological purposes, the New Testament, right, is written just after the life of Jesus. So within the first hundred years, so 100 AD, right, most of it is all finished up. Abram lived at 2000 BC. So he lived 2000 years before Jesus in the New Testament. And when the New Testament, though, is written and God's speaking to those people and everybody's looking back at Abram, what is he defined by? He's not defined by his failures. We know Abraham in a New Testament context is the guy that had all the faith, the guy that actually believed the incredible promise of God and changed the whole course of his life because of it. 
So I want you to be able to see the real human side of these stories because these were preserved for us. I mean, they're 4,000 years old and have been repeated and written down and like we can dig them up archaeologically and find these stories word for word match at all these different parts of the planet about this guy Abram and all these different faith traditions because he was a train wreck. And yet God's goodness protected him from himself. God's goodness protected the promise that he made to Abraham and us, just like Abraham, we do not have to be defined by our failures. That's one of the beautiful things about God. That's a powerful thing that we see. It's not his failures. It's not even his descendants' failures in this early part of Genesis. It's the goodness of God, the mercy of God. Because I bet you have probably done something stupid before. I bet you have. Because I know I have. And I know that I might have consequences for those stupid things, but I know that God doesn't define me by them. So that's just like a cool thing to kind of pull out of this very real journey that we're going to witness here. All right? And then we're going to see the, this. We read this earlier together at the beginning of the service. If you don't remember, it came from Philippians 2. This is the high bar that's set for followers of Jesus. So this passage here from the New Testament, also 2,000 years after Abram. But Abram exemplifies this today. And this is the high calling. If you want to know what it means to be a Christian... If you're curious what it means to follow Jesus and be his apprentice or be his disciple, this is what these two verses say. This is what it looks like. Because verse 5, right after this, says, and you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. And then it goes into the humility that Jesus had, the servant that he was, what he did for us on the cross. But it all starts in the context right here. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, consider others as more important than yourself. So this is a Christian ethic here, but this is one that we see Abram live out. And he says, everyone should not look to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Now you can look at this verse, or these two verses, I should say, and be a real cynic. And be like, look, Kyle, the world doesn't work that way. Sorry, bro. Like, you don't know what it's like in my job, man. To get employment, to get ahead in my work, to get that sale, to make that commission right, to do what I do, I can't live like this. That's not realistic in my world. That's not how my job works. Kyle, you don't know what my family's like. They're a bunch of sharks. If I acted like this in my family, my goodness, they would eat me alive. And to that, though, my response is, thank God our model for life is not your job or the toxic work environment that is in America, the hustle environment that we have. Thank God our model for how we should live our life is not your dysfunctional family. Or mine. Right? It's Jesus Christ. That's awesome. Because what would happen? Let's think about this in concentric circles. What would happen to our church if everybody made a commitment to let this be their life? Just our church. Right? If we just said, look, we're going to be committed to this so that when people come to this church, when we go out into the community as a church outreach or individually doing our own thing, we have connect groups, Bible studies, small groups, recovery groups, whatever the thing is. We do lots of stuff here. What if everyone always said, man, this is who these people are? Like, th that was just the culture here, right? And just spoiler alert, that's what we're pushing for, right? And then if you did this in your home, like, how could that really transform? Somebody's got to be brave enough to take the first step to be like Jesus, even if it's in your own home. What if at work, other people are just waiting for somebody to do this? How could that transform your work environment, right? How could this transform your town, our state, the country, the world? It's like, whoa, 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 that's a pretty big goal. And it's like, yeah, that's the point. 
That's what Jesus said. When he go out in all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, it was meant to change the whole world. But it's got to start with us. It's got to start with somebody. Somebody's got to be brave enough and unselfish enough to start trying this thing. Because at one point in human history, it did change the world. Like, that's the cool thing. It's a historical fact. The book of Acts is real history in the Bible. It really did literally change the world, people being just like this. Because how are you defined in the Roman Empire when they were just slaughtering Christians? How were they defined? Well, they did good acts. They really tried to be good moral people. They met regularly to encourage each other to be good moral people and to do good acts. And they had these things called love feasts, which is just communion. We don't do those anymore because that sounds weird, but we have communion. But how were they defined? They were defined by how they lived out their faith to the point that they were murdered for it. It's like, wow. So that's the high bar that it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. But we see Abram doing this today, which is cool. And here's the principle I want you to kind of walk away with today. This is what we see happen because of his trust and his faith and his complete otherness that he's going to be today. When you trust God the way that Abram does today, possessions lose their grip on you. Because possessions can possess us, right? And so what I see happening to him is this trust in God, this focus on being other-focused, selflessness. I mean, my goodness, you're going to see what it drives Abram to do today. As compared to last week when he just sold his wife into basically slavery for Pharaoh. All right, so I titled today's sermon, Crossroads. Your choices matter. Because we're going to see two men, Abram and his nephew Lot, at a crossroads. And they're going to have to make choices and they are going to drastically affect their generations after them, which is, like, pretty intense to think about. So let's jump in. Verse 1, if you want to join with us uh, in your own Bible, but I'll have it up on the screen as well. So we're going to be in Genesis 13. So Abram went up from Egypt. And so, okay, so why did he leave Egypt? Well, because he just got kicked out by Pharaoh because he lied to him, right? So he's pretty upset with him. Who did he go up from Egypt with to the Negev, which means dry and parched? So he went with his wife and all he had and Lot with him. So he's going up here. Think about this. Again, if we slow down and think about the, like the very human nature, the human side of this. So Abram just got done trying to sell his wife into slavery to protect himself. Can you imagine how awkward of a trip that was with said wife? So here he's got this long trip. Egypt and the Negev. So he's traveling northeast for several days on a long, slow, very probably quiet trip, right? Can you imagine, like, if he's trying, hey, Sarah, how you doing? Don't you talk to me, right? Like, don't you dare even touch me. Don't you look at me, nothing, right? It's like, so he's going to have to be one with that tension. Then he's going to be surrounded by all the things that he illegitimately got, all the riches that God said he would give him, and he went and just lied and was shady and got him deceitfully. So he's going to have to travel north with all of that stuff. It's just this constant reminder of the decision that he made, the deceit that was in this guy. So I want you to think about this. What happens to you when you mess up really, really bad? And God offers you the time to think about it. Do you make excuses? Yeah, me too. Right? You start trying to find, read, well, you know, I did this because they did that. And, well, you know, this has happened to me, and, blah, and we start to try to shift blame, and it's like such a human thing. You see it over and over and over in the book of Genesis. It's a powerful theme. But you don't see Abram doing that in this moment. We don't really hear much, but it's like that was a long, quiet ride. And I just wonder, what was God doing to him 
in that journey and all the things that he had to think about. In verse 2, it says, Abram was very rich in livestock, silver, and gold, just reminded by what he had done. And I also wonder, here's Lot. It said Lot was with him, his nephew. And Lot's going to do something that's not, it's terrible. It ruins, it destroys his family. He's going to make a decision. We're going to see here in a minute. Destroys his family. And I wonder, did he see that in Abraham? Did he see that deceitfulness, that cunning to just get what's yours and grab at the thing that you want and do whatever you need to do to get it? Like, did Lot see that in Abram? And what's all, is, what's all happening in these minds as they're traveling north? And so then you get to verse 3. If now it's looking at the trip. He went by stages from the Negev to Bethel. And Bethel is a Hebrew word, Bet-El. Bet is uh, house. El is God. So this is a very important city in the Old Testament, but it mean, means house of God. Bethlehem, if you're familiar with that, where Jesus was born, that's Bet-Lehem. That's house of bread. Lehem is bread. And so it's cool because Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. And where was he born? But a place called the house of bread, right? And so... The house of God, though, this is, a, this is an important city in the Old Testament. But, so he goes there, and, like, and you'll see what I mean why I point that out in a second. So he goes to the place between Bethel and Ai where his tent had formerly been. So this is the place where Abram came from. And he goes specifically to the site where he had built the altar from before, early in the story. And Abram called on the name of the Lord there. So just to pause on a couple things here. So the name of the Lord, he called on the name of the Lord there. So... Abram uh, was, so the name of the Lord is Yahweh, if you don't know that. So God's name is not God, it's not Lord, it's not, you know, any other title that he has, it's Yahweh. And so that's revealed in the Old Testament in those four letters. So those four letters are called the Tetragrammaton, and in Hebrew it's yod He vav He. those four, and that's Yahweh, that's what we get. And at the time there were no vowels, so that's what you got. So Yahweh is the name of God. So here is the first time that we see somebody calling on the name of the Lord, personally. Later in Exodus, he's going to make this really personal with Moses and enter into this very intimate relationship with him. But here, I see something almost like, I don't know, philosophical, spiritual, I, I don't know the best way to put it. But I, and I don't know how this looks for you. Like sometimes if you just get really disillusioned with your faith, or maybe church, or organized religion, like, or whatever, or you get disillusioned with life, and you get just worn down, or you start screwing up a lot, and it's just like, you're just adrift. You know, I talk to a lot of people that they're just like, Ugh. like, how'd you come to church? Why are you here? God, I just feel like I'm adrift. I'm just like, like I need something. Like, I, I don't know. And they're just like, and I just, I'm talking to a lot of people that are kind of in that boat. So this is, I think, where Abraham was after he made that decision. And here's what I think is cool. God brings him back to the early part of his journey where he set up an altar. And what that means is that God brought him back to the place where he built something. Abraham built something to say, man, God, look what you did in my life. He was really close with God. And I love that God, in a physical and spiritual way, brought Abram full circle to go back to that spot to reconnect with God. So I think there's something really helpful about us, too. To sometimes, like, oh, God, I don't know. Like, if you've known Christ, if you're in a relationship with Him and you're just like, oh, I don't know, to go back to that place where it's like, what was it like when I first met you, Lord? Like, let the Lord take you back to that place. When you first met Him, when your faith was, like, vibrant, like, what was actually going on in your life? Because we see Abram be brought full circle back to that place. So, I don't know, I just, that's what I was thinking about a lot that week with this, or this last week with that particular spot. And then in verse 5, now we're going to get a lot. 
So Nolot, who was traveling with Abram, also had flocks, herds, and tents. This is the first really piece of evidence that we have that God is actually blessing other people through Abram. Right? That was the promise. Hey, I'm going to bless those who bless you. And people that are around you, I'm going to take care of them as well. We see it happening with Lot. The tents part is odd. Right? When people mention wealth, tents are not usually included. Moses is credited with writing this. Moses was a pretty smart dude. And God was speaking through him. And so this is a foreshadowing of what's about to come. Part of the blessing that Lot received is actually going to come back and be like a horrible part of the story. So it's a foreshadow of what's to come. So, verse 6. But there's a problem in all this blessing. The land was unable to support them as long as they stayed together. For they had so many possessions that they could not stay together. And there was a quarreling. There was fighting between the herdsmen of Abram and the herdsmen of Lot. And then a cultural context note by the author here. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites, not the Parasites, were living in the land. Right? So these are future enemies of Israel. These are people that are inhabiting the land. But essentially, what do we see happening here between these two tribes? They're having rich people problems. They got too much stuff. Right? They got to take care of it. Like, that's what wealth usually brings. It's just more to take care of, more to worry about, more issues, more problems. That's what's happening to them. But in the midst of that, and this is America 101, in the midst of all the abundance and blessing, there's this real scarcity mindset. We are the most blessed nation on earth, and our per capita income is like explosively, exponentially higher than most of the world, two-thirds of the world. And yet, so many of us live with a scarcity mindset. And we make really selfish choices sometimes because of that. We won't share. We won't help. We won't bless. We'll, like, we'll do whatever we need to because that's what we have to do in this economy. And that's like, and we'll just we'll screw anybody we need to to get ahead. And it's like... They were doing the same thing. There was all this fighting because the Canaanites and the Perizzites, man, they got the land. They got, they, they got the good stuff. So even though God is blessing us, I need to fight and scrabble for what's mine. That's a super dangerous mentality to have. But it's a very human one. And it's one we see them struggling with here early in the story. But it takes, it, it takes a lot of faith. This two, two verses, two verses right here. It takes a lot of faith to live in this context and be generous. So here's the story building. They're like setting us up. Abraham screwed up. God's going to take care of him anyway. They're moving ahead. Abraham's reaffirmed himself with God. There's still the promise, but there's still these issues of scarcity. And so the story builds. And so Abraham's going to have to step into this environment and be very, very generous. And again, the principle I said earlier, when you trust God possessions lose their grip. So he's going to have to make a super selfless decision. So Abraham said, verse 8 to Lot, please, look, let's not have quarreling between you and me, or between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. Look, we're all relatives. So we're surrounded by enemies, but I'm going to choose to value peace and harmony. So let's not quarrel. In light of the sting of what he did to his wife, Sarai, he makes a really selfless decision here. He makes a decision that's based on faith. It's based on protecting family rather than selling family, rather than just stepping all over them to get what he wants, I really believe God did some serious work on him in that journey north, and then when he brought him back to that place where that first altar was, he was like, hey, Abraham, remember? And we see him making now very brave and very radical choices. Today, he, we're going to see what he does with Lot this time, and then my man Joey is going to be preaching next Sunday, and he's going to be talking about another time where Abraham has to step in with his nephew Lot, and it's like, man, what happened in that journey north? How did God speak to this guy? 
How will he speak to us if we let him have time speaking to us about mistakes that we've made? So, they're going up there, and this is the initial split. So, after this, we see the descendants start to spread apart from Abram and Lot. Lot's descendants, again, these are some names that don't really matter if you remember or not, but you have the Ammonites and the Moabites. And they are going to be enemies of Abram's descendants, the Israelites. And it all starts in this scene right here. And if you've ever heard of the story of Ruth, she is a Moabite. So the cool part about that is, like, in a way, she's reuniting the family of God. She's kind of bringing everybody back together and, and what happens to her. So she's a descendant of Lot. So verse 9, he goes on. He says to Lot, isn't the whole land before you? Separate from me. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Abraham right here, he's, he's stepping into the promise, and he's making a choice based not on fear, like he did with his wife in chapter 12, but on faith. I'm saying, all right, Lord, I'm going to trust you in this. Because if I let him take the best of the land, I just get what's left, which may not be the best. But I'm going to trust you. You said you're going to take care of me, so I'm going to trust you. I'm going to be generous because of that. So you go there, I'll go here. And again, the principle, when you trust God, possessions begin to lose their grip on you. Verse 10. So Lot then presented this opportunity. He looks out and he sees the entire plain of the Jordan, as far as Zoar, is, that was, it was well watered everywhere, like the Lord's Garden, so think Garden of Eden, and the land of Egypt, right? Because the Nile fed everything, right? This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So that's, again, a cultural note, like a foreshadowing of what's going to come for Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I, I tried to find a picture. Like, what exactly were they looking at? And man, I wasted all kinds of time this week trying to find a good picture. This picture right here is just north of where they would have been standing. But it still gives you a pretty good idea, I think. So that body of water on your left is the Sea of Galilee. So you're looking southeast from this position here, and then the Sea of Galilee goes to your north. But that's the Jordan River Valley there, and then you've got the Dead Sea to the south of there. So basically, they would have been looking at the same angle. They would have been looking to the southeast from where they were sitting, over this whole plain. So you've got the mountains, you've got, you know, the green lush grass, all that stuff. So just trying to give you a general feel, even though this is north. So the point, though, is Lot's looking out over all this, right? This, this is what he has before him. This is what he's got. And he's like, okay, cool, cool. I'm going to go and I'm going to take this. But what you see happen to Lot, though, is that the beauty of this place, it attracted him, but it also distracted him from the wickedness that was there. Because Lot, and by no means, is, uh, is fooled by what is there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Like, this is a guy that understood this place. They understood the reputation that Sodom and Gomorrah had, and yet he goes there. So this is what Lot does. He says, in the next verse, he says, So Lot chose the entire plain of the Jordan for himself. Then Lot journeyed eastward, and they separated from each other. What Lot doesn't know, unfortunately, is that he just made the greatest mistake of his life. He set himself off on a path that really, if you think about it, it separated himself from God's promise. God says, look, I'm going to take care of you, Abram, and I'm going to take care of everybody that you care for. And yet they, these two men, they were like, well, maybe it's not going to work out, so we'll split up. So he chooses to leave the promise to his own detriment because this choice would literally destroy his family. Right? Going where he was going, heading to where he was going, and knowing what was there he made a decision that would literally change the course of all of his descendants. And this made me ask, when I, tr I try to slow things down when I'm prepping a sermon, and I try to ask myself lots of questions, like lots of questions, and then usually they turn into questions that I ask you. 
But I want you to know, I asked myself them first. So this is what I asked myself this week. What material thing would I reject God for? And at first, I was really holy, and I was a pretty righteous guy. I was like, nothing. Like, I wouldn't choose anything over God. But then I was like, all right, okay, now that we're done lying to ourselves, what's next? And I said, all right, well, like, how about when I feel like, oh, man, I just didn't have enough time to, to really spend much time in Scripture today. Or I didn't get, like, a lot of prayer in today. I, I'm just really busy. But then I'm like, well, what did I do? Well, I had time to watch a movie. I had time to sit down and watch just one episode of a show that turned into three episodes. Right? I had that time. I, had, I was able to do that. I've made purchases before that I shouldn't have because, yeah, I had the money, but it was a waste of that money and that resource. Why? Well, because I was choosing that stuff other than my relationship with God. So it's like, I don't know what that looks like for you. It could be doom scrolling on social media. It could be binge watching news, right? It could just be getting sucked into things that are just wrecking your soul. Toxic relationships that you just keep going back into. Addictions that you just refuse to give up. Like the things that we choose, again, it's not just a car or a house or something like that. Like there's a lot of things that we knowingly choose and even though they're not good for us. Some of them are just outright sinful. And so that I had to wrestle with this week. So I wanted to give it to you to make you wrestle with it and be uncomfortable too. All right? Yeah, there you go. So verse 12, so the rest of the story. Abram lived in the land of Canaan. That's the promised land. But Lot, on the other hand, he lived in the cities on the plain. And here's the tent. Here's where it comes back. And set up his tent near Sodom. So I want to make a note on this tent thing and the city of Sodom. Because verse 13 says this. It says, Now the men of Sodom were evil, sinning immensely against the Lord. That's an intense statement there. Sinning immensely is a very unique Hebrew statement that essentially means their sin in the city of Sodom was one of a kind. Now some people will be like, oh yeah, Sodom, they're like the sexual sinners because of course sodomy is a word that we get. That's a 4,000 year old term, right? Sexual sin and the kind of sexual sin that sodomy is goes all the way back to this. But it was much, much more than that though because they, the way they treated people uh, was horrific. If you were a disadvantaged person, widow, you know, orphan, poor person, whatever the thing was, foreigner, it didn't matter. This was an incredibly brutal place to live. So here's what I want you to notice by that. And I remember when I was early, early, early in my journey with Jesus, in youth group or something, preacher, Sunday school, I have no idea what it was. Sometime in high school, I remember this guy saying, what we see here in this scene with this tent is a very human problem. And I was like, why? And he said, because this is how we are with sin. He said, we want to know how close to the edge I can get with sin without actually falling over the precipice. He said, this is what we do as people. Like, instead of just being like, okay, so that's the line. So I want to stand back here and I want to live my life in the blessing of God. I want to just be like, well, I'm just setting up my tent, you know, just outside. It's not like I'm like involved in the sin. I'm just culturally aware. That's all. Right? And it's like, I just want to know what's going on. And so I watch shows. I hang out with people. I do things. It's like, that are bringing me ever closer to the edge. But all I'm doing, I'm just setting up my tent. I'm not in the city. Because he knew what the city was like. He knew what was happening there. And when you're a teenager, I remember myself and then being in youth ministry for a decade. Like, teenagers, is always like sexual stuff. Like, well, how much stuff can I do before it's technically a sexual sin? You know, it's like, how close can I get? How can I do this? How can I? It's like, Rather than being like, all right, so where's the Lord's blessing? Let me live in that confine. And just be like, no, that is the best. Yeah, I could go set my tent up. And so that's what's happening, because the, where the story goes for him, by the time you get to Genesis chapter 19, he is not set up outside the city any longer. 
Lot is sitting at the city gate, which at that time meant that he was a decision maker in that city. He was an influential man in that city. God allowed him to kind of go off on his own and pick all this beautiful land. And he could have gone anywhere, but he went instead to Sodom, and then eventually that sucked him in, and eventually it would destroy him, his wife. It would destroy and wreck the, what would happen with his daughters and his grandchildren. It's like, but little by little. And I just remember that being profound for me when I was younger. It's like how I get myself in trouble little by little. I was like, man, so I just wanted to pass that on to you because I just thought that was, I don't know, it stuck with me over all these years. So what's that look like? How'd this fan out? Well, verse 14 says, And Lot had separated, so he's gone. Now we're focusing back on Abram. And the Lord says, the Lord breaks into the story, and he says, Look from the place where you are. Look north and south, east and west, because I will give you and your offspring forever all the land that you see. Right? Reaffirming the promise. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count, um, count the dust of the earth, your offspring could then be counted. So, Abram, get up. Walk around the land, and with length its width, for I will give it to you. So there's that bracketed break in this section. If you are reading a Bible, this is probably just in the middle of a paragraph, this passage right here. In Hebrew, it would look a little bit more like this. This is called a, a chiasm. It's a poem. There's a lot of poetry in the book of Genesis, actually, but we don't ever see it. It's just paragraphs, right? It's not written out like this, but this is a poetic structure to give emphasis. And so, I will give you the land. It's the Lord doing A and A. I will do this. I'm going to do this. Your offspring, your offspring, dust of the earth, dust of the earth. And the reason it's written like that, again, is to bring emphasis. These things here are emphasizing A. It's the Lord that's going to do this. And God is going to do this in spite, Abram, of your stupidity. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to protect the promise. I'm going to keep guiding you, loving you. And what does that say? Like, how do you view God? But what do you think about him? Is he a taskmaster? Is he harsh? Is he mean? Like what I see here is in spite of all the awful things that he's done, God is patient with him. God is gracious and God is merciful with this guy who does not deserve it. Does not deserve it. He didn't earn any of what God is doing. And he keeps screwing it up, really. But God keeps stepping in. And it's like this is what's revealed about God in, in Genesis. And I think it's such a beautifully powerful thing for me personally just to remember that. But it takes a lot of trust to believe, for Abram to believe this and believe that he's going to get the promise because Abram doesn't have a land and he doesn't have a family, right? The land is owned by the Perizzites and Canaanites and all the otherites, right, at this point. So here he is. All right, I don't have the land, but I trust you. I don't have any kids. My wife is barren, but I trust you. It's like he never saw the promise. That's kind of like an untold story. Abram never sees the promise come to fruition. And so here's what I want to say to you. If you feel like you're trying to make investments in other people, if you're trying to do the right thing and you're just not seeing any payoff, is you may never. But it could be huge. It could literally change a generation. It could change your kids, your grandkids. It could change your friend that you bumped into, a coworker, a former student like that you were in school with. Like You just have no idea when you're investing in this kind of stuff and you're trying to live this Christ-like ethic, what it could do to somebody. And the course that it could set somebody off on a completely different direction that you may never know about. And that's another powerful thing we see out of this state. So the story lands in verse 18. So he removed his tent and went to live near the oaks of Mamre at Hebron, where he builds another altar, a second altar. 
So if you can see the Lord has this heart. He's on mission now with him. And the cool thing, not only important necessarily to the story, but I want to ground this stuff in reality, is that Hebron is a place that you can still go to today. So Hebron, Hebron, however you want to pronounce it, is historically, they know this, one of the oldest cities in the Levant. Now the Levant is an area way bigger than the Middle East, so it kind of like, from your perspective, it kind of curves out toward Europe and goes down toward Africa. It's like, you know, it's like this whole big area, the Levant is, and it goes way out into the Middle East. But they think this is one of the oldest cities in all of that area. Because you can still go and visit. Hebron is in the West Bank in Israel to this day. It's like a three to 4,000-year-old city that you can still go and see. So I say that just because it can be, oh, yeah, these stories are like fairy tales. Like, no, this is a real place with real people that these stories have been preserved all these years. It's pretty incredible. So just to step back real quick in closing, this story that we read, these 18 verses, they contrast two men and the decisions that they made. Abram was making decisions based on faith and based on finally getting his act together and trusting in the promise and, like, and not being selfish. And it blossomed into generosity. Whereas Lot was making a decision solely what he could see in front of him. Maybe based on a lesson he learned from Lot or from his uncle Abram. Just grab what you can. Grab what you can, right? And even though he knew that was going to take him down a path that would lead him to Sodom, he just took what he wanted. So, like the title from earlier, if you kind of circle back, your choices do matter. What I see in Abram here is that when he really finally trusted God, those possessions, the, the, just the griping, the scheming, all that stuff, it just it loosened his grip. And he became much more generous. And I just wonder, how generous are you, again, because you know God will take care of you? And here's four questions I asked myself this week in preparation for this. And again, I want to pass on to you. So consider, first of all, how do your choices really reflect your trust in God's care? So slow down, Kyle, and ask, like, how do my choices really reflect the, the truth that I know God is going to take care of me? Do I really make choices in that direction? Right? Not always. Not always perfectly. I can still be a cynic. If you ask my kids, they can probably tell you, like, we try to be pretty generous people. But there was a time Asher and I were in Worcester eating some uh, Indian food together. Boom, Asher sees this homeless guy right over my shoulder. I can't really see him. I'm like, how do you know he's homeless? And then when I saw him, I'm like, oh, yeah, clearly, you know, his clothes are all torn up. Like, this guy's a homeless dude. And she's like, I think we should buy him lunch. And my first response, I didn't say anything to Asher, but my first response is, honey, he's just bamboozling you. He just hangs around here probably every day looking for some sorry sap to buy him food. Like, that's where my heart was. I was almost angered. Like, this guy's just setting people up. He just wanders in here at lunchtime every day knowing somebody with a bleeding heart's going to buy him food. And I didn't even have to think all that. You know what I'm saying? Like, my heart just knew it to be true. I didn't think all those thoughts out, but my, I just went such a cynic place. Like, I'm not going to do that. But then here's my daughter looking at me, and she's like, right, you're teaching us to be generous. And I'm like, oh, God, it just melted my heart, you know? And I was like, oh, I'm such a jerk. And I'm like, yeah, honey, all right. So if he comes back in, because by the time he'd been ushered out, I was like, if he comes back in, we'll buy him lunch. And somebody else, and I feel like we, I missed my opportunity. Because he went out, I don't know who he talked to, but he came back in with this money, got himself all this food, and like left with this big bag of food. And I'm just like, man, somebody else got to bless that dude. When I'm just sitting here being a selfish jerk. Like, what's it going to cost me to buy that dude lunch? Ten bucks? Fifteen bucks? It's like, but in that instant, I'm telling you, I didn't even think all this out. It was just a heartbeat, a blink of an eye. And I was just, like, so cynical. And then, like, Asher looking at me, just, like, melted my heart. Like, but I missed my opportunity. I missed it. Somebody else got to bless that guy, right? 
So it's like, do my choices reflect that? No, your pastor's choices do not always reflect that. Sometimes I fall on my face and make the wrong choice. Do you selfishly hold on to material things? Do they control you? No, not usually, but sometimes. What material things would I reject God for, as I talked about earlier? And are you generous because you trust God will take care of you, Kyle? You do. You can see, right? It's been truth in my life for a long time. How much trust? So, my last question for you guys. How are you do, go, do personally? How are you doing growing into these things that we've talked about in your journey with God? You're going to have ups. You're going to have downs. But how are you growing consistently? How are you learning from these very real stories that have a lot of powerful meaning for us? All right? Let me close in prayer. Lord, I thank you uh, for growing me, showing me these truths, too. Uh, I thank you so much for uh, what we have, these rich stories with these very real people, Lord. Would you help us to learn everything that we can from their example, their failures, their successes, Lord, their trust in you and your goodness in the middle of it all. And I pray that in your name, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, that's all we got for today. Love you all. Have a great week. Once again, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to the podcast so you get notified of new content every week. Remember, we want to help you worship, connect, and serve. So if you live in the central Massachusetts area, we would love for you to engage with us on Sundays. For more information, service times, and details about our children's and youth ministries, visit us at quaybogchurch.org. Have a blessed week.